ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. What about I Never? Uh, I Never wanted to be famous. Oh, bollocks. It's funny. I knew you'd say that. (laughs) I'm Virginia Trioli and welcome to You Don't Know Me, the podcast in which I ask some of Australia's biggest names seven big questions. Lightning round with these questions. Sure. I always... Cleanse and moisturise. Most men have never taken care of their skin. And he's got nice skin, ladies and gentlemen. I can attest to that. This episode, I sit down with comedian and colleague Charlie Pickering. A familiar face on your TV and, as you've just heard, great skin for breakfast radio. Charlie Pickering, how are those early mornings going? It is fine. I uh, I have a three-year-old who, for the first two and a half years of his life, refused to sleep through the night. So, for me, like... Everyone has said, how do you go getting up early? And I'm, and I'm like, three o'clock start is completely normal for me. Mm. So I'm, I'm absolutely fine. It's a life-changing experience having a kid who doesn't sleep normally, isn't it? It really is. I mean, and also our second kid, our first kid was the dream. Right. He took to sleep training very quickly. We had like one bumpy week and then he would sleep through the night. And then he was the most well-behaved kid. He... First Almost. child. First, First child, child yeah. syndrome. Yes. Still hasn't figured out that he can <laughs> not do what we tell him to. Like, he's amazing. <laughs> and we were like, we're the best parents in the world. And then the second kid just, it, an absolute hand grenade goes off. And it's great. And I love how different they are, but it is a reality check that it has nothing to do with how good you are as a parent. Isn't it amazing also they can be so different one to the other? Same family, same rearing. You guys haven't changed. And there you go. Yes. Although my wife would say, they both still look like me, and that's unfair. So, so she's still angry that there's two little mini me's around there. Well, yeah, and that's a and that's a lost opportunity to look more like you know Sarah Krasnerstein, who can I just say, a little better looking than you. Well, you know. I've I've always thought so. <laughs> just a little, just a little. Um, it's been a, a life of comedy after. Well, I, I'm a, I'm a over anticipating the answer to a question here, but you know you did start out as a lawyer, the traditional way of getting into comedy. It seems to me, you know, you Sean McAuliffe, everyone, you have to be lawyers. First, do you really hate it that much that you've got to go into, you know, insecure work and underpaid work like comedy? It's funny. Sean and I, for example, we're, we're very different people, mm. um, but also our stories about he was a proper lawyer. Like he was a partner in a law firm. I did articles for one week, <laughs> and that so, was enough. And that was enough. Well, it actually was. It's it's a, a, the the good people of. And then Blake Dawson Waldron. Right. I don't know what they're called now. <laughs> They'll still be Blake, so they've merged with someone or whatever. But they gave me articles, and I started, and I was there for a week. And I'm a naturally competitive person. I'm quite ambitious, and so I was looking at the guys in the corner offices, all guys, obviously, mm. and looking at the corner offices, going, "That's where I want to end up." And I was coming in. I wanted to be earliest in, last to leave. No, the earliest in and last to leave were the ones in the corner offices. They all looked depressed. They barely remembered the names of their kids and they looked just like the unhappiest people in the world. And I just had this just moment of clarity that week where I was, I, I realized this is never going to make me happy. And so I deferred articles. They were, they were lovely. I think I hold the record for the longest deferment of articles. And, with, and, with, and the quickest and earliest, I would imagine. Well, definitely the quickest to back out. <laughs> but they, they let me defer articles for... In the end, two and a half years, and right. then they gave me an ultimatum to come into the office, mm. and they rang me to give me that ultimatum, and I was in a hire car on the way to Adelaide for my first ever out-of-town gigs. At this time, I was making $150 a week from stand-up, 
And on the phone, I said, thank you very much, but I think I'm going to have to stick with this. And that was, that was the moment that that all changed and, and I left the law behind me. But I just, I really do want to make clear, I wasn't in any way a proper lawyer in the way that, say, Sean McAuliffe was. For me also, I knew since I was a kid that I wanted to be a comedian. I absolutely knew it's what I wanted to do since I was about 10 or 12. But when your parents work hard, send you to a good school, yeah. you can't tell them that you're going to be a comedian. <laughs> You've got to go and do law school. <laughs> you have to have a beard in some yeah. ways. <laughs> Some sort of cover for it. (laughs) Let's get to the questions. You'd never know it, but I. So I was a chain smoker for 10 years. Right. Uh, I smoked two packs a day. What what age did you start? Started uh, 18. When I turned 18, I was at uni. I was 17 when I got to uni. And so it was around 18. It was doing law reviews and I was not smoking to fit in, but smoking seemed pretty cool at the time. Sure. And uh, I, I I was definitely swept up in the aesthetic of smoking. So, of course, I was buying soft pack cigarettes. But, you know, like I was smoking like Lucky Strike no filter soft pack cigarettes or something like that. I Can I even say that on the ABC? But I smoked, yeah, I smoked for, for 10 years and it was uh, obviously not a good idea. But when I finally decided to quit, uh, I tried everything. I tried gum. I tried meditation. I, 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 patches. All of it just made me feel ill, particularly the meditation. But I, um, I eventually got hypnotized, uh-huh. and it worked. From the first time, I went from two and a half packs a day to zero, and stopped smoking that day. I know a GP who did that. A GP who did the hypnotism in order to get people off smoking. Really? Yeah. She was my GP for years. And I used to, she was marvellous, but I used to always look at her and think, yeah, you're a great doctor, but you sell this hypnotism stuff. Are you actually a shonk? But here you go telling me it actually worked. Yes. And I I hope he's still around. My hypnotist was a guy called Dr. Moses Wong, mm-hmm. who I presume came from a long line of Jewish Chinese hypnotists. <laughs> And it's a longed for career yeah. in that culture. Yes. Um, but what was amazing, the thing I remember really clearly about the whole experience, apart from it working and it being like an absolute gift in my life, um, was I rang this number and a woman answered the phone, obviously Chinese, spoke in very broken English. And I said, Hi, I, I want to get hypnotized to quit smoking. And she said, You listen to this. And I could hear her put the phone down. Mm. It's like an old land, you know, landline phone, and I could hear her pr- press play on a cassette deck, <laughs> and Dr. Moses Wong's calming voice started to play to me over the phone, and he ex- was explaining what hypnotism was, what okay, the process this, this was going to be. This wasn't the session, no. no. Over the, okay, but it, this was this was just to brief me for me to decide whether or not I would okay, do it. Right. And halfway through it, I'm going, I'm. A hundred percent being hypnotized into taking this hypnotism course right now. I was just listening to go. There is no doubt that he's hypnotizing me right now. But I got to the end going. I'm doing this. I hey, will come on Friday. I will pay hundred and fifty dollars. But it was a perfect. I was like, well, he's good. He's obviously very good. I'm going to come along and do it. Look, we've covered this ground, but I don't care. I still want a separate answer to it. The fork in the road I almost took was moving to the UK forever. Ah, uh. and I had packed everything up. I was ready to go. So did you have a, I, did you have a job and opportunity over there? Well, I had a I had an I had a manager and I had a booking agent and I had a tour lined up. And it's rites of passage for Australian comedians to go and do Edinburgh Absolutely. and try and do that. 
And you had a good time at Edinburgh when I, you were there. Yeah, I had. You, you, I were, had two you were nominated years. for the Perrier Award, I think. Oh, thank you for bringing it up. Mm. It's much easier than me having to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I would. So I'm here. I, for. I was, although I, I have to say that I was nominated the same year as Tim Minchin's first year, and you couldn't have bit annoying more different experiences. He was the most popular thing in the world, <laughs> and I was in this tiny room in the same venue. Oh dear! And and then like no one at the venue wanted to know me, cared about me, anything. <laughs> and then I got nominated, and they're like, "Hey, we might come to your show and say, <laughs> you know." Um, but it was a it was a great experience, and from that I went back the next year and had a great year, sold out a run in a big venue, and it was great. And it was quite clear at that point that career-wise, there was a door opening there and, and I had to take it. Um, and so I was all set to move there, <laughs> had everything lined up, and a month before I went, this little show that I had been pitching to the Comedy Channel for a couple of years that I'd worked up with my then comedic writing partner and I was in a duo with him, Michael Chamberlain, it got up. Somehow it got commissioned. <laughs> it was like... We had no win. They like it was the lowest budget thing ever. It was called the Mansion, and it was a topical news show. It was way too high concept. the The numbers will show that it was the show no one wanted, uh, and and it led to nothing. That was the other thing. It, it did not lead to anything. Uh, but it was I couldn't not take that shot, and it, and actually everything in the UK fell over as because I I had to burn bridges to stay and do that thing. Right. But I'd made a commitment to Michael. We had this idea. We wanted to do it. I always wanted to work in TV, and so that was my chance to do it. Do you think things would have been materially different for you if you took that road rather than that one? I think they would. Better or worse? Just different. Mm. I think um, – I suspect I might be wealthier just because even just there's as a, a – There's a scene there. There is a scene there. There's a, there's a volume of people – it's cold. They like being indoors. Uh, <laughs> but they, there's there's so many towns and art centres and pubs and everywhere yes. with so many gigs as a comedian. And then just this thriving that they make so much more comedy on television there than we do. And so I, I think there was a chance I could have done more, made more money, and done bigger things. But I wouldn't swap it for what I what I've been able to do here at all. Charlie, lightning round with these questions. Sure. I always cleanse and moisturise. Every morning, cleanse and moisturise, and I have since I was 12. Who encouraged you big, to do that? I had a big sister. Yep. And she, um, <laughs> and so, but also she. She likes practising on you, right? Well, no, not quite. Here, what does this mask do? <laughs> well, the, oh, no, it brings you out in hives. Yeah. Thanks for that, Charlie. Well, it was my, actually my sister, she would hate me for mentioning this, but she read somewhere that if you put tea bags on your, you know, like most tea bags hey, on your hey, eyes, hey, it would work. We still do that. Yes, but she did it with apple cinnamon tea bags and had an allergic reaction. <laughs> And so she just, her whole face swelled up. Um, I'm not supposed to snort no, on it. It was you very made, funny You made at me the break time. a cardinal rule. She didn't find it funny, but we all did. But no, she, she went through puberty before me. She had acting before I did. And so she learned all that and we shared a bathroom and so I learned it. And I, I, I thank her so often for the fact that I took care of my skin. Most men have never taken care of their skin. And he's got nice skin, ladies and gentlemen. I can attest to that. Great I skin for radio. I never. Uh, I never wanted to be famous. Oh, bollocks. No. And it's it's funny. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> I love- I wonder why. I want the job that I have. I would like it if I could sort of not get recognized and not like not- have that part of it. I'm no. not. I'm not 
um, Harry and Meghan. I'm not getting hounded by paparazzi. I've, but I've also quite deliberately done none of those my life interviews, come into my home interviews. Oh, yeah, I right. don't share my personal life to the media for publicity. Mm. And it's probably- Have you done the new idea photo spreads with both of you in white shirts and that kind of thing? No, I got offered not a huge amount of money, but a little bit of money for wedding photos. And I said no. Mm. Um because I spoke to Helen McCabe, who was a, an editor of those sorts of magazines at Women's one point. Weekly, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just asked her about it and she said, once you accept that, they will think they own you forever. Yeah. And I just couldn't think of anything more repellent, to be honest, than mm. sharing, A, my wedding day, but B, my life, my personal life in that way. I, I, I don't think it's fair on your family. And it's also, I'm not interested in that. I like the work. I love going to work. I love doing radio. I love doing stand-up, doing TV. I love the work, and that's really what I get out of it. Charlie Pickering is answering the questions. The time I got it terribly wrong was? Um, Valentine's Day in year 11. Uh-oh. And I was very good friends with three girls that I was, like, in love with in different ways. And as a grand gesture, I got up at about 6 in the morning. I got long stem roses. I got on my rollerblades. And rollerbladed all over my suburb and dropped roses on their doorsteps. With cards? With cards. What I didn't understand at the time was, apart from the fact that they all went to the same school oh, and, oh, and knew oh, each oh, other oh, very oh, well, oh, 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 oh. but just the fact that- um, three, did, three ladies twiddly yeah, like they, the song goes. Yes. But what, and it created in their mind the impression that none of them were special. <laughs> Or they all thought I liked one of the other others more. Or, or and, worse, you thought you had a harem. Well, yeah, I don't think anyone thought I had that sort of confidence back then. <laughs> but it, it, it's funny. It was just it was a moment that I was trying a grand romantic gesture. I wasn't trying to keep my options open or be a player, but I was like, I was almost saying, I I love each of you in a different way, and I realised that is not that is not <laughs> not, not going to get you anywhere. Did it blow sky high? It didn't blow sky high, but it didn't definitely didn't end. In, in me ever having a girlfriend while at high school, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, we're chatty. We talk, yeah. we talk about that yeah. stuff. <laughs> Big mistake. Lots of mistakes along the way there. Oh, dear. How did you meet Sarah? Sarah Krasnstein, of course, the celebrated author. Um, I guess we, we met in a bar, but I, we were gently set up. I didn't know that I was being gently set up, but basically um, some friends of ours, a couple that we knew, I, I knew him, I worked with him, she worked with her. Um, he was Adam Rosenbachs, actually, um, who was a writer at the project at the time. And uh, Sarah was working at the Department of Justice and it was one of her friends working there. And uh, it, was, it was only as much as they had said, oh, you should meet this guy. He's interesting. He saw I had a book in my handbag once and asked about the book. So it sounds like your kind of guy. Like, you know, like, <laughs> um, and so what was amazing, though, I didn't know we were, we were being set up in any way. Sarah almost didn't come. She wasn't like there looking for a yeah. husband or anything like that. But literally the moment we met, we knew. That was it. Yeah, absolutely. First conversation. It was, it was pretty cool. It's a physical thing, isn't it? It really is. I mean, unfortunately for her, she has had to actually get to know me uh, over the <laughs> subsequent 14 years. No regrets that we're aware of? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, think, I think she's good at looking at the totality. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The curate's egg, good in parts. Yeah. It's a nice tagline for Charlie Pickering, yeah. really. Good yeah. in parts. Good in parts. <laughs> it's a small thing, but I'm still so proud that I 
I qualified for the amateur world cycling championships. Did you really? In the in not quite the geriatric division, but like the thirty-five to forty-five division. Not that old. And uh, it was I I rode in a race. It, it was the um, Amy Gillett Foundation's Grand Fondo oh, yeah. down in Long, and it, it's a timed race, and uh, it counts to qualification. And I at the time cycling was I, I spent so much of my time on cycling, and um, I still love cycling. But once you have kids, you can't spend four hours riding up a mountain anymore. But so it it was proper racing and training for you. Yeah, like three kids. I, yeah. yeah, and I was my weekends were I'd do it probably four hours on a Saturday, four hours on a Sunday. I'd oh. ride. I'd I, ride I, with I a know those people. Yeah, <laughs> and I loved it. And it was, um, but it was one of those. It was a thing that didn't come easy to me. I wasn't. I, I was good at ball sports when I was young, but I wasn't physically fit, strong. I was always a small um, guy. And so it was a thing that didn't come easily to me, but I had to work really hard for a long time to be able to get there. And to do that, to put in the time and to achieve the result that I was after, that really meant a lot to me at the time. You didn't go ahead and do the race? I couldn't. And and it was it coincided with uh, our first child being born, and so it wasn't possible. A kid in compensation, not too bad. Yeah. He better... He better make a world championship at some point. <laughs> Charlie Pickering, my secret pleasure or my guilty pleasure is? Um, yacht rock music. Excuse me? Yacht rock music. What is this? Okay, it's a genre of music. Um, I guess the archetypical yacht rock song would be Christopher Cross's Sailing. <clears throat> you just did it again. But it is soft rock of the 70s. Get it. Doobie Brothers. Yep. Steely Dan are probably the best at it. Oh. Um Hall and Oates, uh, great exponents. That's known as yacht rock. I did not know. Hall that. and Oates are a yacht rock duo. Okay. Um, and the, and the the mantra of it, it's music that rocks, but is also smooth. <laughs> and and it's funny. It's music that I thought that I used to enjoy ironically, and then it turns out there's no irony. I just love it. And and like Sarah and I, we like we went and saw Steely Dan. At the Beacon Theatre in New York. Hey, there's nothing and wrong like, with that. And like it was, but we were there. It's like we were at a gig with three thousand of our parents. It was, <laughs> it was just so strange. And but like, could not be more excited. And so like, that is, it's a musical genre that I love deeply. It's my go-to. Sarah and I, Friday night, yacht rock comes on. Glass of wine, yacht rock, and I tell you, this wild and crazy guy is <laughs> is cutting loose near the lava lamp. You Don't Know Me is presented by me, Virginia Trioli. It's produced by Joe Sullivan and Jules Hay with audio production by Michael Black. And because Charlie mentioned them, if you're interested in hearing from lawyer-turned-comedian Sean McAuliffe, as well as music man Tim Minchin, you can listen back to my earlier episodes of You Don't Know Me. I didn't have much hope for myself, but I did an open audition for Pumba. You know, the kind of Faustian... (laughs) Warthog. You'd never know it, but I... Was once Humphrey B. Bear. Were you really? See, you didn't know that. That's I didn't know that. Coming up next episode, she's been answering everyone's parenting questions for years, but now I'm going to ask her a bit about herself. All I'd secretly wanted to do other than write was be an ABC newsreader. <laughs> and, well, podcast host is close. Maggie Dent is my guest. You won't want to miss it, so follow You Don't Know Me on the ABC Listen app and thanks for listening.